50 years ago, the Starship Enterprise changed the world of sci-fi forever. Over the years, it hasn't slowed in its cultural influence. Today on Frame Treks, we'll boldly go where no one has gone before. It's Star Trek on Frame Treks. Star Trek, the brainchild of creator Gene Roddenberry, first launched as a series in 1966. Pitched as a western set in space, it followed the intrepid crew of the USS Enterprise as they explored the galaxy, encountering various aliens and tribulations along the way. It quickly became clear that the show's storylines were allegories of contemporary realities. Issues depicted included war and peace, imperialism, class warfare, economics, racism, religion, human rights, sexism, and man's struggle with technology. Canceled after only three seasons, the show was considered a failure. But in the years that followed, its popularity has grown beyond anything anyone could have predicted. The original series has spawned an incredible seven television shows, including the new Star Trek Discovery coming in 2017. Currently 13 feature films, countless video games, figurines, novels, toys, comics, and theme park attractions around the world. In an attempt to keep this podcast at a reasonable length, we'll be focusing only on the cinematic journeys of the Star Trek franchise. In the mid-1970s, Star Trek's popularity was growing as the shows had successful reruns. Paramount began pre-production on Phase 2, a second TV series with the original crew members. However, in 1977, a small film titled Star Wars altered the cinematic landscape dramatically. Paramount decided there was money to be made in the sci-fi film franchise and upgraded their Phase 2 project to a feature film. Released on December 7, 1979, Star Trek The Motion Picture, in epic fashion, transitioned Kirk and his crew from the small to the large screen. With remarkable visual effects, huge sets, a long running time, and sweeping score, director Robert Wise, known for The Sound of Music, launched the crew into the cinematic universe. That sweeping score was brilliantly realized by veteran composer Jerry Goldsmith, who would score a total of five of the Star Trek movies. He would become synonymous with the franchise and would be responsible for many of its most memorable themes. 
From Star Trek The Motion Picture, here is the Star Trek theme. Released before the influx of overused CG effects, Star Trek The Motion Picture relied heavily on practical effects and large models. The visual effects crew built a 20-foot model of the Starship Enterprise and showed it off quite nicely in several key sequences. The sequence where Kirk and his crew board the Enterprise for the first time is simply one of the greatest moments in all of film. From that memorable scene, here is The Enterprise. 
Before we continue, as you may know, I like to drop a trivia question that I'll answer at the end of the show. This one's a bit of a toughie unless you're a diehard fan. Ready? Here goes. What famous Marvel Avenger had his acting debut as Captain Kirk's father? Think about that for a bit while we listen to some more music. The second voyage of the Star Trek film series found the crew of the Enterprise travel back in time to set right a corrupted timeline after Klingons used the Guardian of Forever to prevent the assassination of John F. Kennedy. Wait, uh, that's not right. That was the plot Gene Roddenberry originally pitched as the sequel to Paramount. However, after the reviews of the first film complained about a lack of action, Paramount removed Roddenberry completely from the production. They slashed the budget and turned to director Nicholas Meyer to beef up the action. The result was what is widely regarded as the best entry in the Star Trek film series, The Wrath of Khan. The actual plot pitted now Admiral Kirk against an old enemy from the TV series, Khan. The smaller budget meant Jerry Goldsmith was out, and he was replaced by newcomer James Horner, who delivered a score of a lifetime. The film would catapult Horner to superstardom in the film composer world, where he'd remain until his death in 2015. In the film, Admiral Kirk reluctantly allows an ensign to command the Enterprise out of the dry dock. The sequence gave Horner a chance to lay some thematical groundwork that he would continue to explore for the next two films. From The Wrath of Khan, here is Enterprise Clears Moorings.
not to spoil a 30-year-old film, but Spock dies at the end in what is easily the most powerful moment in all of the series. Horner scored Spock's funeral with a beautiful version of Amazing Grace. In one of the many outstanding action sequences, Khan steals a Federation starship and mounts a sneak attack on his old adversary, Admiral Kirk, who is forced to improvise a defense on the fly. Horner really explored his action chops on this track, entitled Surprise Attack.
Star Trek III, The Search for Spock, was the second outing in a three-film story arc. It begins just after the ending of Khan and focuses heavily on death and the loss of friends. Spock's death is already taking a toll on his friends early in the film, as shown in this cue titled Spock's Cabin. In yet another memorable sequence, Kirk and his crew are forced to steal the Enterprise to return to the planet where Spock's body was laid to rest after the Federation refuses to grant their request. The elaborate sequence was epic and wonderfully accompanied by Horner's rousing score. From The Search for Spock, here is Stealing the Enterprise.
After the Klingons leave them no choice, the crew are forced to destroy the Enterprise in an attempt to survive the attack. In a poignant moment, Kirk and the crew watch as the Enterprise re-enters the atmosphere in flames, in a fighting chance to live.
After the dark outing for the Enterprise crew, Paramount wanted things to lighten up in the next film. The result was the most popular Star Trek film to date, titled The Voyage Home. The rather successful film was the most accessible Trek film and allowed general audiences in on the fun. In it, Kirk and crew find themselves traveling back in time to the 1980s to find whales that are extinct in the future. The whales hold the key to a deadly weapon that threatens to destroy future Earth. After Horner declined to return, the producers turned to Leonard Roseman, who had limited success by scoring the sequels to Planet of the Apes. The result was, sadly, the worst and most misplaced of all the Star Trek scores. Although Rosamund was brought in to make the franchise more fun, the tracks are mostly comical. A perfect example of this is when the group are trying to get Chekhov out of a military hospital. Here is that moment called Hospital Chase. Once successfully captured, the whales are returned to the future to save the day in this track titled Home Again.
The next chapter in the Trek franchise was a dark one indeed. High on the success of Voyage Home, the crew thought they could do no wrong. So they entrusted the franchise to none other than Captain Kirk himself, William Shatner. Leonard Nimoy directed parts 3 and 4, so it is believed that Shatner refused to return to the franchise unless he was also given the director's chair. Shatner's ego, coupled with a crippling budget and no clear story arc, resulted in the worst entry in the entire franchise. Star Trek V The Final Frontier followed the crew as they searched the outskirts of the galaxy for God? Yes, God. Although the film had some wonderful moments, namely the I need my pain sequence, the final film was just a complete mess. One shining outcome, however, was the return of Jerry Goldsmith to the franchise. He brought back with him the themes he created for the motion picture and also created some new ones as well. Although I can't recommend the movie, the score is a delight. From the final frontier, here is The Mountain.
the final outing for the original crew was Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country. This time, they turned to con director and voyage writer Nicholas Meyer to save the franchise and give it its proper ending, and he did just that. This time out, Kirk struggles with his outdated prejudices against the Klingons, his lifelong enemy, when their planet is destroyed and the Empire calls for peace. Kirk is sent as an envoy and must deal with corrupt politicians on both sides. From that fitting end to the original cast, here is the suite from The Undiscovered Country.
While the original cast was enjoying a successful theatrical run, a new cast began its television journey. Titled The Next Generation, the show followed a new crew of a later Enterprise, the Enterprise D. The show managed to hit gold a second time due mainly because of the wonderfully crafted characters. Picard, Geordi, Riker, Worf, Troy. They lasted a full seven seasons from 1987 to 1994. When its initial run was over, it was only natural for the show to make the switch to the big screen. Sadly, what followed were four mediocre films, none of which ever really reached the quality or success as the original crew. There were some nice moments, however, like in their first outing, Generations. Captain Kirk and Captain Picard joined forces to defeat a time-traveling enemy, which was a nice way to hand off the franchise to the new crew. From Generations, here is the main theme. Kirk sadly makes the ultimate sacrifice 
in one of the worst death scenes ever to be put on film. He is unceremoniously buried, alone on a hill, in an unmarked grave. Not the ending any of us believed Kirk deserved. From Generations, here is Kirk Saves the Day.
first contact. The second outing for the new crew was by far the best of their films, mainly due to the wonderful villain. Taking a page from the original crew, the writers used the best villain from the series, the cold and unrelenting Borg, to craft a very adventurous time-traveling feature. This time, with a bigger budget, the producers returned to Jerry Goldsmith to compose the score, and it was a notable improvement. As usual, he did not disappoint. From that film, here is the wonderful theme to First Contact.
producers must have used their entire allotted budget for First Contact, and the studio clearly tightened the purse strings for their next outing, Insurrection. The film, with its lackluster plot, boring setting, and subpar acting, is easily the worst of the next generation films. However, producers were smart enough to keep on fan favorite composer Jerry Goldsmith, who at the very least gave the world another wonderful score. From Insurrection, here is Baku Village.
one of the many issues with Insurrection was the lack of action as the story was bogged down in a political subplot that wasn't very interesting. There was a decent moment with the Enterprise E where Commander Riker saves the day. From that scene, here is Riker Maneuver. After the disappointment of insurrection, many had hoped the next journey for the next generation would be much better. But alas, it merely continued the downfall of the series and actually ended, for a while at least, the cinematic adventures of Star Trek. The final film with the next-gen crew was called Nemesis. I'll spare you the details of a very convoluted plot involving Picard's clone and the Romulans and just leave you with yet another wonderful piece from the great composer Jerry Goldsmith. 
Nemesis would mark the last time Goldsmith would compose for the franchise, ending his 25-year-long contributions to Star Trek. From Nemesis, here is New Ending.
After a seven-year-long drought, Paramount was ready to bring Star Trek back to the big screen, this time with director J.J. Abrams. Abrams had already revitalized the Mission Impossible franchise with its third outing and was eager to save this one. The result was a very cleverly written sequel-slash-reboot that would bridge the original crew with the new actors playing the original crew. In Abrams' Star Trek, Spock is sent back in time to when he and Kirk first met to help them stop a revenge-seeking enemy bent on destroying everything Spock ever cared about. Despite many doubting the film, it was an enormous success, and Star Trek was back and better than ever. Goldsmith had passed away by now, so producers gave the musical reins to renowned composer Michael Giacchino. He composed a fantastic theme that matched the new feel perfectly.
J.J. Abrams returned to direct the sequel titled Into Darkness that, as the title suggests, took a darker, more intense approach. Audience reaction was mixed as the film retold the story of Star Trek's most famous villain, Khan, who was featured in Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. Although the story was told well, many took offense to Abrams altering such a beloved storyline. Giacchino returned as composer and once again delivered a fantastic score. Khan's introduction has him bribing a worker at a government facility in London Calling. In one of the better action sequences, Khan and Kirk must traverse the space between two ships in an attempt to go unnoticed. From that scene, here is Ship to Ship. Thank you. 
since Abrams was busy directing another famous sci-fi franchise, <clears throat> Star Wars, Justin Lin of the Fast and Furious movies took over directing duties for the next journey of the new original crew in Star Trek Beyond. The result was a decent film with good action that played more towards a base audience. In one of the best sequences in the film, the Enterprise arrives at the space station Yorktown in an elaborate docking montage. Here is Night on the Yorktown.
I have one final track to play for you this time around, but before I do, let's answer that trivia question. It was, what famous Avenger had his acting debut as Captain Kirk's father? In J.J. Abrams' reboot of the franchise, the opening scene has Kirk being born on board the USS Kelvin, which is captained by his father, who sacrifices himself so his wife and son can escape. His father was played by none other than Chris Hemsworth, who went on to play Thor in the Avenger movies. In Beyond, the Enterprise is ordered into the nebula to investigate an SOS call. To finish us out, here is Dance of the Nebula. Tracks is a production of Peer Productions Incorporated. If you have any questions or comments, drop me a line at info at frametracks.com. All the music you are hearing on the podcast is available for purchase. Mm-hmm.